0: Hey, welcome to Athlete yeah. on Fire. I am Scott Jones, your host. Thank you guys for joining us today. You know we've been doing a lot of interviews with endurance athletes, and we're going to just flip it over 180 today. We have a world class sprinter on the show today, coming out of Calgary. Uh, he was a former Olympian, and he's he's shooting uh, to hit up Rio here coming up in 2016. He has a pretty amazing story. He's a busy guy. I can't wait to share a story today. This is Shay Smith out of Calgary. How you doing?
1: Morning, Scott. I'm doing. I'm doing. I'm doing good. Thanks.
0: <laughs> good, man. I, you know, you, I know you have a crazy schedule because of the times that you put in to meet for the for the interview. So, thank you for your time. I think people are going to really draw from from your story as uh, as they do with lots of our athletes. And just to let everybody know, you know, this is this is Athlete on Fire. We're here to bridge the gap between amazing athletes doing some amazing things and the rest of the world. And today's going to be no different. So, so Shay, we're just going to dive into to Athlete Defined. That's our first segment. Um, I have a question for you about about your youth. Okay, so we're going to take it back. You're 15 years old. It's a Saturday in the middle of the summertime. Where are you at and what are you doing all day?
1: Hmm. Uh, Saturday. Well, typically track practice starts around maybe 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. So um, if it's the middle of the day, we'll say noon. I'm probably just finishing up practice at the track, stretching, talking to some people. And probably not take a nap, but just relax a bit. You know, stay at my walk. Sunday, Saturday practices are pretty, are usually pretty intense, and I won't actually do anything um, with my day till maybe around four p.m. when I think I'm rested enough.
0: Oh wow! So, so what were those practices like? Were, were you highly competitive at that time already? <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, my my I made my first international team when I was uh, sixteen, I think, either sixty late either late sixteen or early seventeen. So uh, by fifteen, um, I was training pretty consistently, and I mean, it, I was still part of the JD team. So the practices weren't as intense as they would be, you know, ten years later. But I mean, it was still pretty tough for a fifteen-year-old. A lot of running, a lot of general strength, no weights, but just you know, tons of abs and that kind of thing.
0: Oh, nice. Okay, so so where were you at?
1: I was in Ottawa, Ottawa, Ontario.
0: Very nice. So um, so let's dive into your childhood a little bit more. You know, what what was the family life like? You know, um, what kind of work ethic was instilled at, at at your home? Did you have any siblings? Just kind of t- tell us a story about that.
1: Yeah, okay. I have one sibling. She was seven years older. Um, because there was such a big age gap between her and I, we, uh, I mean, we, we hung out a little bit, but as siblings usually do it. She was doing her own thing at university or high school when I was, um, just sort of doing my own thing with track and, and my school. But when it comes to work ethic, uh, both my parents, uh... Hey, Shay. Hello? A strong work ethic. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Hey,
0: yeah, I'm losing you, buddy. Um, let's see. Yeah, I'm going to
1: go a bit closer to my Wi-Fi. Um, thing. maybe that'll help too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It just keeps cutting out.
1: Okay, I'll start over.
0: Okay. Yeah, go for it with uh, the family question.
1: Yeah, like like I was saying, my sister was uh, seven years older than me, so we didn't really, we hung out a little bit, but probably not as much as siblings who were two or three years um, spacing between them. So when she was at university or, or high school, I'd just be doing my own thing. But uh, in terms of work ethic, both my parents have PhDs, so they're really gung-ho on on work first, play after. So uh, you know they they made sure that when I came home from school, I wasn't allowed any TV till six p.m., which gave me two hours to you know get all my 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 schoolwork done. And then when I came to track, whenever I had a bad season, my mom would would always be the first one to say, you know, if you're gonna do this, you got to be the best at it. So you need to figure out what you did wrong and how you can get better at it. And you know, don't mope around and don't feel sorry for yourself. Just get better. So it was really like the best kind of environment, you know. You want to grow up, and if you want to be a, a world class athlete.
0: Oh man, I, I love I love the attitude first of all, and second of all. So what was the PhDs then? I'm just kind of curious.
1: Uh, my dad had a PhD in veterinary science, and my mom has a PhD in nutrition.
0: Oh, that's well. The nutrition piece has she helped you out with your with your athletic athletics at all?
1: Yeah, yeah. At, at the start, she was really key. I mean, she she would make lunches um, for me on those Saturday Saturday practices and. And uh, we spent a couple of years living in Italy as a family, um, the two of them and me. My sister was at school, so it was pretty rough going from my high school, which was way up in the north of Rome, and then going to the track, which was way pretty much downtown. And you know, if you've been to Rome or Italy, you know that the, the buses are terrible and people drive crazy. So she'd be waiting for me at school with a lunch that she made and then drive me through the traffic to get to practice on time. So she was uh, she was pretty key. As I got older and I and I and I moved out, she um she would she would get a little bit angry because she she's as a nutritionist she's all about you know eating healthy and, and making sure everything you get is from your from your diet and you know when I started taking protein supplements or fish oil or multivitamins she says you don't need that you know you don't need that you can get that all from food so that was a little uh, area of disagreement that we would have because uh, you know I say mom you know I get that food is important and I and I eat as well as I can but after my workout. I can't have a three-course meal, you know. If all I can have is a protein shake, I need to get this protein in me right now in the next half an hour. So um, that was the only difference between her and I. But generally, she's always been um, my my biggest supporter from the food point of view.
0: No, that's cool. And j- just to let people know how how me and Shay got introduced, we got introduced by Energy Bits, which is actually – uh, a supplement, but it's a food-based supplement, which is which kind of ties into everything. It's kind of cool, but you guys can check that out at ener- energybits.com. It's, it's kind of interesting how all this ties together. And you know, I've, I have the same philosophy. I, my background's in, in exercise science, um, and, and I truly believe that you need to get as much, if not all, of your your nutrition through through real foods. But you know, sometimes it's not possible, and, and for elite athletes, that have a, an amazing output. It's it's hard to just gnaw on some chicken right after <laughs> right after a workout. You know, you just got to get it down, like you said, with, with your yeah.
1: Mind.
0: So yeah, were, were either of your parents athletic. I'm just kind of curious.
1: Yeah, I mean, they weren't uh, they weren't national team level athletes, but they, they did university stuff. My my dad um, did did a bit of uh, shot put. He played a lot of cricket because he went to school in um, in Nigeria, and cricket's pretty big there. And then uh, he also went to school in, in Belgium, and I guess there's. I guess it's close to the UK. Cricket's pretty big there too, or bigger there than it is here, at least. And uh, my mom was big in field hockey, so they're both um, they both have athletic backgrounds, and, and they still go out for jogs and you know hit hit up a treadmill oh, probably cool. like three or four four days in the morning. So uh, they're they're both pretty healthy. Have you
0: ever played cricket? I played baseball, and I always thought it'd be kind of fun to try it out.
1: Well, yeah, I, I never played like a legit game, but um, when I was at school, there was a couple guys indian guys with cricket bats and you know they sort of bowl which is pitch the ball at me and and um i'd give it a whack or two it's 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 pretty fun and even in high school when we didn't have um the cricket bat we would use textbooks like big you know <laughs> physics or math textbooks and small tennis balls and like when, when we're taking a break in class they just sort of flick the tennis ball at me and i'd try and hit it with the with a textbook so it, it's it's pretty fun I mean, when, when you watch the highlights it's I mean, it doesn't look that exciting, but like any sport, if you understand it and you understand the small details and you're going to get involved, it's just getting over that initial hump. Um, yeah. that's a tough part.
0: No, it's cool. I mean the hand eye in cricket is pretty amazing. I, I, I always yeah. thought it's pretty cool. Yeah. So, okay. I always ask this question cause I think, I, I just think the family dynamic is interesting. So if you can't think of anything, that's fine, but is there, is there anything about your, your parents, one of them or the other, uh, that you can share with us, like, a quirky story? Like, if you and your sister just sat down, you would always tell a story, like, around the holidays or something, and just maybe maybe something that you laugh about or just something that, that happened that was really interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I've been – even though I didn't really start doing track as sort of, like, a full-time job till I was 14, 15, or, yeah, let's say 15, I did it in school pretty, um, pretty regularly, you know, every year, the track team kind of thing. And whenever I had a meet for my elementary school or high school, my dad would always be out there with the camera and no tripod, even though I've I've been telling him for years he had a tripod. He'd always just use his hands and it'd be the shakiest video you've ever seen, like it was some kind of earthquake going on. And like, you know, after 10 years, it was like no improvement, no improvement whatsoever. (laughs) always, like, just the, filming the wrong people, or, you know, just, he, he, like, he forgets to turn the camera off, and he's just filming his toes, and then when it's time to turn the race on, he turns the, ca- when it's time for my race, he turns the camera off, because he thought it was on, and it's just, uh, oh, it's always a laughing matter, and then in London, um, just two years ago, when uh, they were in the stadium for the final of the relay, um, my dad couldn't get in, because we only had two tickets, so he gave to two tickets to my mom and my sister and it ended up being you know my, my mom's responsibility to do the filming um but she was too nervous to film and uh and she didn't get uh, a lot of the race and um like it was it, it was it was it was moving around a lot but like more than my dad and then it just they just sort of gave up, you know, and <laughs> and it's just sort of looking somewhere else, so I guess that you can say the quirky story is that no one in my family is a professional uh, cameraman, but the important thing is the efforts there, and they do get a little bit of it, so it's, it's, I, I appreciate it, some videos I can look back on, you know, in 25 years, and, and say, wow, I didn't know they had those kind of shoes back then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dude, that's so funny, I'm just, I'm trying to picture, like, You just want to—I mean, you just want to have something to look at. I mean, even—even for performance, just to get better. You know, I—I want to see how I ran. Yeah. And and you got the lady sitting next to your dad eating popcorn or something. He's talking to her. (laughs) I'm just imagine that that right now. I've—I've actually done that on this show before. I had the show recording and I turned it off to start the show, and I had to call back the athlete a day after and tell him that I got nothing on, and that was. That's a sick feeling because everybody's busy in this world, and I hate to take people's time when, when it's not necessary, but that's a great story, man. Awesome. So, okay. You're on a show called Athlete on Fire. It's really about, it's really about helping other people realize that there's, there's a huge connection between everyday athletes and people doing elite things. Like There's, there's not a huge gap, really, um, but we're going to bridge that a little bit with a lot of the content today. Um, tell tell us a little bit about your your career as an athlete. You know, I, I f- on purpose don't tell all of the accolades in the intro because I I want you to kind of just share your journey, um, some of the things you've done. Share share that experience in the last Olympics um, that I know about. I, I think hearing it from you on the show would be very interesting. And just take a few minutes for this.
1: Okay, well, um, it's 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 been I guess a bumpy ride. And any athlete, especially track athlete, but that, that pretty much any athlete will um. Really agree that amateur sports can really be up and down, um, especially when it's an, an individual sport. So I started off when uh, an elementary school teacher told me after a track day that she thought I should join a club because I was um, I was pretty good at track. So you know, you really, literally the next day I joined my local track club in Ottawa, which was the Ottawa Lions Track and Field Club, and um, we started just basic workouts every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And then that became, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. And eventually just sort of every day except for Sunday. And as I would train, you know, I'd get better, and I would still do my school meets. And then i do a, a track meet here and there with a club and then maybe like a weekend championship. And eventually I started making teams. Um, I made the World Youth Championships, which is kids under 17. And then I made the World Junior Championships. Um, that was in Beijing. That was really cool and then I made, you know, Pan American Junior Games and, and the World Student Championships. So I, I was making a lot of teams, but all these teams, I was still pretty young, you know, 19, 20, 21. But uh, when you get to 23, three, there really is no more sort of teams specifically for young kids, and you become a senior. And after my last sort of major junior team, I had like a couple of years where I, just, I wasn't making any teams, and I wasn't improving, and you get that plateau as a senior. And... Uh, that was, pretty, that was pretty tough because as, as, a, as a youth and junior, you know, things just come easy. Every year you PB, like you, you drop your time by like a 10th tier or two tier. And I'd say to myself, man, I'm on track to be the best in the world. You know, like With four more years, like with this kind of PBing at personal best every year, I'll be a world record holder in three years. And, and then I believe that. You know, So when you get to be a senior and then things sort of plateau and it becomes a lot more difficult and you're competing against the entire world, it was uh, it was tough, but I met I met a great coach who uh, introduced me to the the idea of being a twenty four hour athlete. Because before him, I would really train hard on the track, but then I would leave and I would just I I, I wouldn't eat the best. I mean, I, I wouldn't eat poorly. I wouldn't go out and eat pizza, but I really wasn't treating my nutrition as you know like a life and death kind of thing. I wasn't treating my recovery as a life and death thing. And he said, "Shay, you no, know, you're not an athlete just on the track. You have to be an athlete." Every minute of every day of every year, if you want to be the best in the world. At least, you know, at least if you think you can really be in that Olympic Olympic final. So after I uh, I got that 24-hour athlete spiel, I um, things started looking up. You know, I made a world championship team and, and, a, and a Commonwealth team and then another world championship team. And then we're at the London Olympic Games. And um, it had been the best year of my life. You know, I had run 10, 22 I'd come in third at the Canadian National Championships, and you know, and and I felt, I really believed that this was the year that I was going to sort of do that 10-1 and 10-0 times, which are world-class times if you run 10 flat or, or 10-1, and um, leading into London, training was great, and what happened at London, because I was, I had finished top three at our National Championships, but I didn't run the 10-2-0 you needed to get in for an individual race, so I was just there for the relay, which was heartbreaking, but... I forgot, i just get it next time. So we're there for the relay, and, and Team Canada is really not really ranked in the top three or, or top five, at least that year. So everyone kind of expected us to just get there and, you know, be an all ran, make the final, but probably come in seventh or, or sixth like, like we normally do, and just, uh, and just think of it as, as, as a good game for us. But first round in the heats, we run a great time the fastest time since the 90s for Canada, and uh, <clears throat> we f- were finished, like, we we, we run the third fastest time in the world that year, and everyone sort of turns their head and says, wow, you know, Canada's looking pretty good, but, you know, they're still probably just going to come in fourth now, or fifth. They're not actually going to go out there and medal. And then in the final, you know, the four of us look at each other and say, you know, we're here, this is the Olympic final, we just got to get out there and run like hell, because, you know, like, we all we all had personal best that year. We were all in the best shape of our lives. So, we line up for the relay, four by one. The gun goes off, and you know the first leg runner. I run second leg, so I'm looking back at the first leg runner, and he's actually moving. You know, he's moving, he's killing it, and he's coming towards me. And I'm like, this is it. This is this is what we're, we're going to do it. So I, I I leave my mark, and he runs into me. He passes me the baton, and I'm running, running down the back stretch, and you know feeling pretty good. I can hear like the Japanese team to my left. I'm saying to myself, not today, you know, not today. So I start picking my knees up and I run into the third place, the third leg guy. And he runs with the baton. He does a great job. And he runs into the last guy in our relay team, the anchor. And at that time, we're probably in fifth place. And our anchor runs an absolutely blitzing leg. And he comes, he passes the guy in fourth place. And he passes the guy in third place. And we're in third place going into the finish line. And I'm yelling, no, no, I'm not ready for this. And, you know, he crosses the line. And bronze medal, third place. And I'm on my knees um, across the, at, at the other end of the stadium, just looking at the big screen and saying, oh my God, oh my freaking God, this is unbelievable. You know, Olympic gold medalist. And the top two teams, the Jamaicans and the Americans, had broken the old world record. So this was the fastest race, the fastest four-by-one race of all time at the Olympic Games, and Team Canada would be on that podium with literally the five fastest people of all time, you know, both Usain both was there, a couple other Jamaicans were there, Tyson Gay, fastest American, this was the real deal, I mean, you couldn't get better, I mean, like, I mean, it's always good to get a gold medal, and, and that's, always, that's obviously our aim, but these top two teams are legit, like, these are the fastest teams of all time, so I run to the finish line, and we're hugging our teammates, like, this is amazing, we are the best in the world, and, you know, we hug the fans, we sign autographs, we get some Canadian flags. And we we're about to start. We we're about to start to do our victory lap, and then we look on the board and we find out that um, we've been disqualified. And there's a, lot, there's a lot of confusion. Like, what happened? I mean, we didn't mess up a ba- uh, an exchange. We didn't. Uh, we didn't interfere with anybody. And then it find, and like ten minutes later, we find out that the third leg runner had stepped on the lane line, literally one step, about you know an inch, not even an inch, half an inch on the line. He didn't step out of his lane. He just stepped on the line, on the paint. And that was enough, you know, with all these HD cameras. And that was enough to get us disqualified. So we go from third place, a place in history, a place on the podium, meant to being remembered forever, you know, and introducing ourselves as an Olympic medalist forever to being disqualified. And, you know, we all thought we'd be forgotten into into history. So that was pretty, um, it was pretty emotional and massive high to a massive low in, in a span of 15 minutes. So that was the London experience, and um, it was pretty. I was pretty gutted.
0: Say dude! First of all, you are a great storyteller because I'm sitting here with like goosebumps. I'm excited, you know. I'm like going through the whole thing with you, and I can't imagine as the athlete to experience it how how emotional both ways it is. I mean. People, I, I don't know if people understand, and we'll—we'll we'll tap into this a little bit, but—but but how hard it is to train as an amateur, how hard it is to find money to travel to—to to make it to some of the competitions for a lot for a lot of these athletes, and to balance the work work life thing, it's crazy. And then you—you you finally get to that pinnacle, and uh, like you said, with the best runners, the fastest runners in the world, and you're right there with them, and then literally, like something where you could put your finger on the line, disqualifies yeah. you. I mean, is yeah. that? Was that unprecedented? That type of disqualification, or that close of a disqualification?
1: It happens a lot in track. And I think the issue is it's just not it's it's hit or miss whether someone sees you. And and I, I think I think it's, it was unprecedented because it was just such a major. I mean, it's it's happened before. Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, in, in 2008, an American won an individual 200 meter uh, medal, and he got disqualified for stepping in the line too. But but usually when they do it it's because like they actually like, there's it's visible that the person has stepped out of his lane or like it's you, you can see the person's a bit out of control when they're running it and, and and it's it's a, it's an obvious call. But I would say in our case it's unprecedented because no one saw it in the actual race. And you have to go back to the slow mo replay. You have to sort of zoom in on the guy's foot. And even then he wasn't outside his lane. He was just he was just like on the line. So I think that there I mean rules are rules and and I'm obviously going to going to be biased but I just feel that the level of 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 accuracy that they're sort of requiring in that case was unprecedented in my opinion
0: yeah somebody somebody pro- had to see it or or uh yeah I mean it, that all makes sense of course okay amazing story everybody you can see where we're coming from he's been on the biggest stage uh, our next segment is really going to take us into the mental and the physical part of of performing at that high level couple things before we move on, though, Shay, I kind of want to ta- just, you know, educate some of the listeners. Um, so when we're looking at times, like your 60, your 100, and your 200, I'm looking at your bio right now, your 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 PR for your 60 was 6.66, could you please go like one-tenth or uh, one-hundredth faster so we can get off that odd number? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, just my lucky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then uh, then your 100 was 10.22, like you said earlier, and then your 200 was 20.81, so... Um, just, just educate everybody. Like, what are world class times in each of those three? 60s usually done uh, indoor, correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you're six. So, so what are like world class times in all three of those?
1: Well, I think if you go to the World Indoor Championships, which is every two years, um, a gold medal is probably if you run like a six five one six five two, you're probably gonna get a gold medal. If you run my time, you'll make it into the semis, maybe squeak into the final, but um, a world class time is six point five, I would say, and uh, in the sixty, the difference between six six and six five nine is probably maybe just about a meter, I'd say, a bit less than a meter.
0: Wow. Okay, and then for the hundred.
1: Uh, for the hundred, it's it's a bit skewed because Bolt is running nine five, right? Um, but the, the fact of the matter is like only one person has run nine five. Only three people have run nine six. And then nine seven, I think it's uh, six or seven people. So if you if you take the really extreme out of the out of the sort of the the spectrum, if you can run nine nine, you are world class. I mean, even ten zero, but we'll say nine nine just to 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 be to be uh, on the higher end. If you can run nine point nine seconds, then you will always make a final at the World Championships or the Olympic Games. Um, if you run ten zero, you're still world class, but I would say you're top class. You know, like you'll You'll get paid, you'll get a sponsorship, you'll get invitations to uh, to meets, but um, there's no guarantee you'll make, you'll win, you'll win a medal. And then after that, the 10-1s, 10 10-2s, 10 you're progressively getting, I mean, to like you're still good, but there's the amount of people who can run that time is considerably more. And the, the, amount of, the amount of people who can run 9-9 is, I think, only maybe 50, I think, I, I, I gotta look at the number, but only 50 people of all time have run under 10 seconds, but the, the of people who run ten two is in the hundreds, right? So, um, I probably would say I'm in like in maybe like the 70th or 80th percentile, nice. uh, but these are just numbers I'm throwing out right now.
0: No, no, yeah, it's good. I, just to give you know, I mean, just for you know, people to know who Bolt is, so I think that's yeah. a good reference point. Of course, he's just blasting everybody, so that it's hard to relate for sure. And then for the 200, what's you know, just give us a yeah. good idea for there, too.
1: Again, the 200 Bolt's PB 19 1. That is not that that. You cannot consider that normal by any means, because <laughs> like there literally is like a half a second gap between Bolt and and one other guy and then the rest of the world. But if if you run twenty point zero something, you will always be in a final at the World Olympic Games, at least based on the history. If you run nineteen. 19 anything like if you run 19 seconds and you're going to be you're going to get the contracts you're going to be in the finals you're going to get big money and you're going to be considered the best in the world but i say the majority of people um who are the sprinters they're probably going to be running like the 20 the 20 flat 20.00 20. to the 20.1 20. 20.2 20. So those are like the world class times nice. once you get to 20.4 and then down um, there's a lot more people who are, who are in that range. So my 200 time really is like, a, to be honest, it's a terrible time. I haven't, run, I haven't run a 200 in a couple years, so I I need to get back in it and drop my time. I'd be happy if I ran like a 20.5, 20. 20.4. 20. And that shows that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a top level athlete, not nice. world class, but top level world class is 20.3 or faster.
0: Awesome. Awesome education there for me too. Cause I haven't looked at those numbers in a while. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell you something funny. This is for you guys listening. I've trained a handful of sprinters, and uh, I've trained guys trying out for, like, the NFL combine. And, you know, people don't realize, I mean, we're talking about tenths and hundredths of seconds here. I mean, to train for four years to improve a time by a tenth or a hundredth of a second, it seems crazy, but that's what you do. That's, like, that's your craft. Um, But for perspective, I remember taking taking an athlete who's doing, like, a three-cone drill uh, for football, and he could not get down. And I was, I was just trying to relate to him, I was like, "Do you realize how much, how small the margin for error is?" So you you know the game when you take a stopwatch and you just try to hit it as fast as you can and see how low you can get it. Yeah. Have you ever done that before? Yeah. Yeah. So so I mean, for you guys at home, if you just tap that sucker, start and stop as fast as you can, you might be able to to do it to a tenth if you're really quick. But that's that's how fast this stuff is happening. I think it's just kind of good to relate to to. The, the difference between world class and high level, and, and all of the the differences in between. So, all right, so Shay, we're gonna um, we're gonna move on just a little bit, man. We're gonna go to a question that I kind of like. It's uh, it's what's the most inspiring thing that you've witnessed in person that has to do with athletics or competition?
1: Okay, um, like I said, my first team I made was in two thousand three World Youth Championships, and when I was there, there was another girl from Australia who was also there. Her name at the time was Sally McLennan. She did uh, the 200 and 100-meter hurdles, and she was the best in Australia for her age. And, and she was good. I, I mean, I don't think she won, but she was in the final. And um, I also saw her, like, the next year at the World Junior Championships, and, and pretty much every every major event that I was at, she was there too, and she'd always get a little bit better, a little bit better. She was always good, but she was not at that time the level of, like, Olympic champ and World, and World Championship champ. And, um... And when you look at Bolt, I mean, the guy was sort of just born and he's already beating people. You know, like he's, he's the best in the world. At 16, he was running times that would win gold medals at the Olympic Games. Whereas Sally, her progression every every year was just, just, just a little bit better, just a little bit better. And the most inspiring thing I saw was when Sally won um, a gold medal at the Olympic Games. And she also won a gold medal at the World Champs. So either one works, but... Well, will use the world champs because it was a faster time she won a gold medal at the world champs and her time was on par with like a little bit on par with like her a bolt time like i in my opinion it should be the world record because the actual world record was run in the 80s and and there was a lot of drugs back then and it's a time that really hasn't been touched so far but sally ran a time that was so fast i mean it was so so fast and you know sally's clean and it was inspiring because I'd seen her progression. And, and I, when people say, who, who can you use as an idol? I don't like to pick idols. I don't like to idolize people that way. But I would pick her because it shows that even though you may not be bold, even though you may not be sort of born with this innate skill, she has progressively gotten better. And she's worked on the small details, like her technique, her flat speed. Like you can see that she's really dedicated. And this is just not to insult her, but like, just like a regular talented person, um, not like a superhuman bolt. This is a regular talented person that has become a superhuman in her sport through her, just her diligence. And I, and whenever, you know, I start to get a little bit demoralized, I just think, you know, I say, man, like think of Sally. Look at what she's done now. And uh, and, and look at who she is now. She's like a, a household name, or I think she should be a household name. Yeah. Her name is Sally Pierce. Her, she, she's Sally Pierce now. She got married. But she is uh, an inspiration to many, I think.
0: No, that's a great story. And I, honestly, for our, for our listeners, that's perfect because – I don't think we have a lot of Usain Bolts listening to the show. So just realizing that you can, you can definitely tap out your potential from from hard work and doing it the right way. That's really cool. All right, so we're going to move on to Athlete on Fire. It's second segment. It's going to be a little more about the the competition and the mental and physical preparation. Uh, before we do that, though, we we have people listening. Uh, do you have a set or a, or a hard workout that you can give our listeners that they can go give a try?
1: Yeah. Um... For an ab workout or just like general strength, I would suggest doing something like 10-minute abs. You pick 10 different exercises and you do it for 30 seconds. You take 30 seconds off and then switch to another exercise for 30 seconds and then take 30 seconds off. And uh, the aim is to just be doing 10 minutes of nonstop ab work or or back or just like general core. And you can vary it to make it either 45 seconds of the exercise, 15 seconds off, or your thing. So that's an ab workout. In terms of like a running workout – Um, I would say something like it's, it's, it's difficult because workouts are more difficult the faster you go, but an an, an easy one to start off with is something called up backs where you'll do, uh, say five sets of three runs on a, on a soccer field from end to end. So you run, you, you stop for 20 seconds, then you run back, you stop for 20 seconds and you run across the field again. So it's 300 meter runs with 20 seconds rest in between. And you can give yourself something like a two-minute rest per set. So five sets of that. That's that's a pretty. It's not too tough, but it's it's a good workout to really get your blood pumping. And by the fifth set, you're gonna be you're gonna be struggling for sure.
0: Nice, like it. Okay, so for the abs, give me five five exercises just off the top of your head, real quick.
1: Okay, v sits. um, You're lying on your back. and you your feet and arms both come up side stretched out, so you're, like, you're making a T-shape and then you're supposed to keep your toes off the ground, just like an inch off the ground, and sweep your toes to one hand and then sweep it down to the other hand, and you're making uh, like a, an eagle kind of shape in the sand or a snow angel kind of shape. And then just regular abs is good, and then back hypers, you're on your stomach, and you're raising your stomach and your feet together. And then uh, the last one, I would say like the um, bicycle, you're on your back, you're bouncing on your butt, and you just move your feet like you're riding a bike in one direction and then reverse the direction again. And do, say, 30, 30 reps one direction, 30 reps the opposite direction, and that's a good workout for your, for your bicycle.
0: Nice. Those are those are hard to explain, too. So I, I appreciate the explanation. I'll I, I try to find some resources for that for sure on the show notes. Uh, all right, so do you have a good quote or a good mantra for everybody that, that maybe you've drawn from some strength from?
1: Um, quote that uh, uh, an agent in Canada says is, be world class. The agent's name is Chris McCashew. And what he means by it is everything you do, you do at a world class level, whether it's your race, whether it's your ab workout, you know, make sure your toes are up, make sure your arms are in the right position. You want to be the absolute best at every single thing you do, even the smallest thing, you know, even how you drink your glass of water, you got to be the best at drinking a glass of water. So everything you do is world class, then you will be world class. That's the quote. Be world class. I love
0: it, but really quick, how am I going to drink water world class, man? Come on. <laughs> uh,
1: no spillage. You know, it's, it's actually you wouldn't believe how, many, how, many, how much water I spill when I drink water. <laughs> it's just so embarrassing.
0: So he actually used that example for you because you got a drinking problem. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. All right, that's awesome. Okay, so th- this piece right here, this is mental and physical. I used to have tons of questions for the segment, but it all broke down to two main things. Okay. And the first thing i like to go, you said that, um, we're, we're going to go mental first. You said you had a coach that really drove home the concept of being a 24-hour athlete. Um, so give me like five bullet points on what that means. Like what are five habits or five tips and tricks to be a 24 athlete?
1: Okay. Well, the first one is an easy one. On the track, keep that b world class mantra in your head. Everything you do on the track, you do it to your the best of your ability. You know, you don't sort of half-ass workouts, which is what I did when I was younger. You know, every every rep you give 100%. Second bullet point is when you leave the track, you respect your recovery. You know, they I, th- I think I, I try and get between eight and nine hours of sleep. And if I got to be up, if I have to work because I work part time, then I know I have to give myself enough time at the track to get my workout in properly. So that means I got to be up at 7:30 a.m., which means I got to try and be in bed between 10 to 10:30 which is kind of early, but that's something you need to do. Like, to be a 24-hour athlete, you got to be in bed by 10, and, and that means sacrificing certain things. Bullet point three, taking care of your body in terms of your therapy, um, whether it's flexibility, yoga classes, getting the treatment you need. I mean, I've missed out on treatment because either I wanted to save some money that week, you know, 70 bucks a pop for massage four times a week. I mean, that, I mean that or four times a month every week, that tends to add up. And you know you gotta balance your your finances. You're paying you know bills. You're, you're traveling to meets. And it's easy to say okay I'm gonna skip massage this week. But you gotta be 24 hour athlete. You gotta take care of yourself. So massage, stretching, and on your own. Don't skip your stretching. Um, those that's three points. Let's say the fourth point is your mental toughness. Um, not all not all not all athletes do kind of like mental exercises. But I mean I have or I had a sports psych who was really who would always tell me, to you know, do these breathing exercises because it helps your body kind of reset. And if you do it at home or you do it on the track in a meet, it will help you control your, your emotional state, control like your, your heart rate and control just you, – you won't freak out as much. But for it to be really worth your while in a competition situation, you have to practice it outside of competition. So it's, it's annoying having to sort of sit down – and spend five minutes working on your breathing and, and getting your heart rate in in line through breathing but that's something you have to do you got you gotta put the time aside for that that's part of being a 24 athlete it's it's dealing with the sacrifices and and yeah I'd love to sit, sit on my couch and watch Netflix for like four hours and and, and not really do any of that stuff but that's necessary because you have to do that work off the track um, as well. So those are four points. I can't think of the fifth one, sorry. Dude,
0: those are those are value valuable points. I I'm I'm gonna knock the fifth one out anyway. That was just kinda going from what you said earlier. Awesome points guys. So I'm gonna I'm gonna reiterate here. We have number one, be world class on the track. So full effort for what your goal is when you're on the track. And for you guys listening, that's full effort. Or at least having a plan when you go into the gym, when you're training for something specifically. I don't know how many people Get into the weight room, get on the track, get out on the trail and they have no idea what they're going to do. They just know they're going to go through it aimlessly and having a plan really helps you take it to the next level. Number two is respect your recovery. I think a lot of people know what this means but a lot of people don't practice it. It's kind of like having good nutrition. We know what's good to eat but we don't necessarily eat it all the time so uh, getting, getting that sleep that you need and, and hydrating like you need to is really important. Therapy and you just kind of bulked everything into there is flexibility, yoga, sports massage, stretching when you need to, a lot of the preventative measures for for sport. And then lastly is mental toughness and just taking the time to really step back and relax your mind a little bit, visualizing uh, your endeavor. Uh, We talk about visualization a lot on the show. Those four things are great tips to be a 24-athlete. I love that. Good stuff, Shay. Mm -hmm. All right, so the last thing mentally that I'd like to kind of tap into because those are really a lot of mental things. Is when you're competing at a really high level, you know. Let's use the, the London Olympics because it's so close to you. Um, you're in this huge stadium. I mean, how many people were in that stadium there?
1: Eighty thousand.
0: Eighty thousand people, plus bazillions of people watching it on TV. Because the four by one is probably one of the most viewed. Besides the, besides the one and the two, it's probably the most viewed and, and entertaining um, events on the track, in, in my opinion. So you have yeah. a bazillion people watching you. You know this before you go into it. Um, how are you preparing up to the race when you toe the line and when you actually start running? What is going through your mind? Take us through those three little points there.
1: Okay. Preparation leading up to the race, it starts from being, you know, being world-class. I'm not nervous in the London Stadium because everything I'm going to do in that stadium, I've done you know, millions and millions of times at my home track. You know, uh, and I've done it presumably perfectly. And you know, like, in, in practice, I I train like I'm gonna be. I train like I'm in London. I train like I'm at the at the Olympic Games. So at the Olympic Games, it's just like a regular day. So knowing I have that, knowing when I'm in the stadium, that all the days leading up to this Olympic day, I've done everything I could possibly have done. Like there was not one night I didn't go to sleep telling myself there's nothing more I could have done. Having that behind you gives you a lot of confidence because you know that you're the best you can be. So like it's just a relief. Um, so that keeps, that keeps you grounded in terms of nerves. When you're uh, some, something else you can sort of work on when you're there too is, is, uh, is the breathing. I, I always use breathing to sort of calm myself in case my heart starts beating a bit. So in that stadium, I'm just, I mean, you can look at the stands, you can look at the people, you can look at the cameras, but you're always just going to be breathing and sort of coming back to your coming back to yourself. Um, and then what am I thinking of during the race? I, mean, I like, I like, to, oh, sorry.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. During, I mean, cause you kind of brought us up to the tone the line. I mean, what, what do you do? You do? You, cause you're, you're, you, I guess you were the second leg anyway. Yeah. Um, so you're just kind of relaxing. You're watching your, your teammate just probably giving yourself a couple more little pep talks before you go. And then when that baton is handed to you, are you able to think when you're running, or are you just total reactionary? Like, how how, do you, how does that work for you? Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I, I definitely think when I'm running because, um, you know, it's – I mean, it's running is natural, but if you want to run to the best of your ability, you've got to have some cues. So in London, in London specifically, all I was thinking about was my elbows, making sure my elbows were going back because, like, the elbows control the hand, your feet. So I was like, elbows, elbows, elbows. As I was running, but I mean, there's other races. You think about different things. Whether you think about your the strength of your foot hitting the ground, or you think about the angle of your feet as they come up. There's always one thing I think about that's going to help set up the rest of my race. Because if you get that one thing perfectly, then the second thing will be perfect, and the third will be perfect. But in London, I was thinking elbows, 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 and nothing but elbows.
0: So, so for your for your running specifically as a sprinter. You're saying elbows a lot. Is that your is that your biggest issue? Just your back drive, your arm drive?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty tight around my back. Um, not not my shoulders sort of move up to my 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 ears, and I don't get the right range I need in my arms, which chops the range of my feet. So to ensure that, because I'm six like six three almost. So to ensure that I'm using my 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 full range and like my full gait, I have to make sure that. My arms are doing what they're supposed to be doing, so but thats that's something for me specifically everyone's going to have their own different cue to yeah. run to run well
0: I think the way to explain that to, to lay population, if there's lay population out there is um, once your turnover is maximized, then it becomes about how much power each stride is is putting out, and the power is dependent a lot on stride length at that point, so when your stride length is is uh, is maxed out. Or when you're getting close to that max, and your arms are cutting off that stride because those are your counterbalancers, um, it can create some issues. So having a full range of motion in your upper body mechanics is really going to affect how powerful and how long your stride in, in your lower body mechanics. Is that is that a good ex- explanation for for what you're yep. going through?
1: Yeah, that was great. That was great. Cool.
0: So um, there, I, I love I love sprinting. I, I love coaching sprinters. It's uh, most of the sprinters I've worked with. I don't know if you've had this experience. We got some head cases, man. I mean, it's such a technical sport. You get some head cases. It's fun psychologically to work with, work with these guys. I, I haven't worked with a sprinter in a couple of years, um, but there's there's so much goes into. it. And you you hear a lot of philosophical athletes come off the track because there's you know your event's only ten seconds a lot of times, so you have so much time to think about it, and you get some really cool takes as you guys can see. So so the last thing physically, we don't have to break down workouts and specific. Sets that you're doing in the weight room, but do you have a a, a general philosophy? And then off of that philosophy, fl- philosophy, fl- philosophy, fl- physically, um, what what is your what's a day in the life? I know that you told me that you have a job. Tell us what your your work life is and the balance. Like, what is a day in the life for you like?
1: Um, yeah, I guess balance is key. I'm up I'm up at 7:30. um at the track by. I like to have like you know good breakfast and relax, watch a little bit of TV before I leave. And I'm at the track between nine to one, so I get a good four hours in. Um, workouts will vary, but I'm I'm typically there for those four hours on, on most days. Then I um, get ready for work, I change, you know, do all that stuff, and um, I'm at work around one thirty, one forty-five, and I'm there for the next four hours. Work is a lot of sitting, you know, because I'm I'm working at a computer the entire day. You know, maybe walk around to go to a meeting, or I, I like to do laps around the office in case I get really tight. Uh, <laughs> what do you do
0: for work, Shay?
1: Um, I work in uh, a utility company, I'm an electrical engineer. So I just do, you know, engineering stuff with uh, transmission lines and all that kind of stuff. Cool. So it's a lot of sitting, and occasional talks and occasional meetings and that kind of thing. But balancing, you're right, balancing both is is pretty tough because that amount of sitting is gonna affect my my hip flexors and like my hips it makes you really tight, more susceptible to injuries. So you gotta you gotta really focus on that more when you get home. It's it's a big balancing act, yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. So f- physically, um, what percentage of uh, of your training is happens in the weight room? What percentage happens on the track?
1: I'd say if you look at it on the year as a whole, no more than 20% is in the weight room. Um, and even that's probably pretty high. Um, the majority of it is going to be on the track. Let's say 80%. Um, and it's not all running, but it's drills, bounding, um looking at video of yourself on the track it's it's yeah it's just a lot of things but we're pretty specific in 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 track you know a lot of not that much cross training for me for my group at least it's very specific to what, what what we what we do
0: so when you do go in the weight room are you guys just complimenting some upper body stuff working a little bit on on some leg power is that is that about it
1: Uh, most of what we do is always, we're trying to be explosive. I don't, I only do one upper body workout a week. Um, and that's this time of the year when we get to like the summer, I don't do any upper body. Um, most of our stuff is Olympic lifts, uh, uh, snatch, clean squat. Um, those are the primary ones. And then like secondary lifts are going to be, um, you know, back hypers or dumbbell jumps, like kind of like a rocket jump thing with a dumbbell. Or just air, working on the glutes, just a bunch of different stuff. But the primary ones are going to be the Olympic lifts, and then the smaller ones sort of complement that. But mostly lower body for sure.
0: Cool, very cool. All right, man, we're going to move on to the last segment. It's only a few minutes. Um, it's called Athlete Inspired. We're just going to do some quick takeaways here. And uh, the first one is legacy important to you, and why, if it is.
1: Say it again. Legacy important to me.
0: Yeah, is your legacy or legacy in oh. general? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because of my coaches always told me, he's like, "Shay, when you're done with sport, what are you going to have to show for it? You know, I mean, we all like the sport, but it's, it's, we essentially put our lives on hold for many, many years and, and, you know, live uh, with a, little, a small amount of money for many, many years. So when you're done, it, it would be nice to have something to show for it and like a story to tell and something to, to inspire the next generation. So yeah, legacy is, is important for me. And it's certainly something I think about, like how how can I what can I leave the sport with you know, and what can I take away with
0: if it, if everything ended tomorrow and, and I know the lifestyle of a lot of uh, Olympic hopefuls and Olympians, if it all ended tomorrow, was it all worth it for you
1: it was y- y- yes and no, it was worth it because I had a lot of fun I met a lot of friends you know I got fit I, I I learned a lot about myself, but no because I still just I've got nothing to show for you know you got junior medals and i i, I you know I have like uniforms, but I want. I want a medal, you know. I want, and I want to run faster, you know. I want a world class time, and I want a medal. If it ended now, I would feel that I just, I would partially, I would feel like I just haven't done enough to really warrant certain things, you know. It sounds bad, but I guess I'm my my toughest critic. I want more.
0: Well, I I think that's mentality you have to have if you are all in. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. So moving forward for Rio, are you are you feeling strong right now? I mean, we've got a couple years, but. Um, are you in a good place physically and mentally for your sport?
1: Well, you know, ironically, after London, I was, it was I was injured for two years. Um, doc, doctors really couldn't figure out what was going on, but I'm good now. Just had a test yesterday, actually, and I'm perfectly healthy. So physically, I'm in a good spot. Mentally, I'm with the same coach I was with in London, and you know, we're doing the same workouts. So mentally, I'm 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 quietly confident as well. Still got a lot of months um, before before we really start testing ourselves, but I, I'm I'm looking forward to. Uh, being on that line in real, for sure.
0: So cool, man. So, who in the world or what in the world is inspiring you right now?
1: Uh, tough question. Um, other, other than Sally, who was inspiring me on the track. Um, that I think that's pretty much it. I think, um, yeah, just just yeah. Uh, no, no, nothing to add to that.
0: No, that's a great one. So, what about a book? Do you? Have, I always like to share a couple hard resources. Do you you have a book that you'd like to recommend to people?
1: Yeah. Um, the the title is called talent is overrated. I don't remember the author. I think like Michael Cohen or something like that, but the book pretty much this explains what I said about Sally. You know, that it's not just basic, uh, the genes or or skill that, that makes people and it, it's it's what you do with it. So it's it's it's. I mean, it's it's pretty cliche. I mean, people probably what what you read is what you read is what you're probably going to expect to hear. But it's it's good to sort of see it organized and see it structured in in a book and and really hit home the message that you just gotta put the work in. As cliche as that sounds, it's it's true.
0: Oh, it's great and it's great to not just fall back on what you do or do not have genetically because. Although it is a factor, it, it's, it's not as big as, as a lot of people like to use as the scapegoat, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, 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 for sure.
0: Okay, we're so connected, and uh, there's a lot of people listening right now that might want to draw from the story. Is there, is there a way to find you online? Is there an email that people can reach you with? I just want to have give people a chance to reach out to you. Yeah,
1: Twitter. I'm on Twitter. It's S-E-Y-I underscore Smith, Shay underscore Smith. I've been working on a website for a while now because I'm making it myself, and you know I'm sort of new to that stuff. But I want to make it myself, so I've been uh, sort of um, dropping the ball. Off, but when it's made, it's going to be legit, you know. <laughs> any website that any website that takes years to make, you know, it's going to be good. So I will. I will, <laughs> Once it's done, I will put it on Twitter, and then I'll, I'll have like my blog and my schedule, and you know what I'm up to, all that kind of stuff. But for now, Twitter is the best way to to, uh, to reach out to me.
0: That's cool. And- uh, the person who introduced us from Energy Bits, Joy Bryant, who's who's an awesome, awesome woman too. She's yep. she's competitive in the Olympics as well. Um, she kept saying your name as sai and it, so in my brain, like for the last two weeks, I've been saying sai So I'm looking at at my notes here, and I swear, like three times, I've almost said sai <laughs> but it's Shay, everybody. And it, yeah, it, it's a freaking cool name. So you gotta call him by his, na- his name. All right. So lastly, I'm gonna wrap everything up, man. So I asked you about what you're doing when you're 15 years old. Go back to that version of yourself and give him some advice right now.
1: I would say, you know, the, the devil is in the detail. Just make sure that you don't cut corners. Because every, everything will work out well if you don't cut corners. If you do what you're told to the best of your ability, then you will be great. If you think of yourself as, oh, I'm I'm good, you know, <laughs> I got this, then it will not work out. So, the devil is in the details. Do not cut corners.
0: Awesome, Shay. Thanks so much, man. I'm so I'm so happy that Energy Bits kind of introduced us and got this ball rolling. You have a great story. I, I think there's a lot more to share from from your perspective, and I'd I'd love to do it again. But thanks a lot for sharing what you did today.
1: No problem. I th- hey, thanks for uh, thanks for calling me. I love I love sharing my story. So hopefully, um, some people uh, get inspired from some of this.
0: Absolutely. And everybody else, thanks for tuning in. I, I love changing it up, getting getting to some faster, speedier guys on here. And uh he, he had an amazing story. I'm I'm Scott Jones. You guys were all inspired by Shay Smith today, who's absolutely an athlete on fire. Thanks a lot. Hey and there you have another episode of the Athlete on Fire show with Shay Smith, who's a sprinter up in Canada. Man, we're talking like inches and, and they could have meddled and just have such a good outlook and, and and point of view on that and work ethic to get back to Rio so they, they can give it another shot is pretty inspiring to me uh, tons of good takeaways, the workouts and all that stuff and I'm really happy that Energy Bits uh, got that ball rolling so I, so I was able to interview Shay. and uh, they've been so kind to offer 30% off to you guys who are listening, you can go check that out at energybits.com and just use the code ATHLETEONFIRE uh, other than that you guys have a great day wherever you might be hopefully you can go implement some of the tips that Shay gave you during the interview today thanks a lot Thank you for listening to Athlete on Fire. Stay fired up with additional resources and information at athleteonfire.com.